Hello, welcome to Over the Knee. I'm Cynical Dom on Tumblr, and I'm here with. I'm Amy Submits on Tumblr. We're going to do something a little different for this episode. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, a movie from like a DS perspective. Um, this is kind of like a trial. Um, we'll be monitoring if like it doesn't get as many views and. Uh, like, if you don't particularly like it, um, you know, let us know politely. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's just, like, an anon to one of our blogs saying, yeah, you know, I prefer the other type. Um, and we won't have to, like, you know, publish it with an answer or, you know, maybe do the same if you particularly like it. But, uh... Even if we keep doing ones like this, um, they'll never be like two in a row. Like, yeah. we're not like changing the format of the podcast or anything. This is just, you know, sometimes we have difficulty coming up with ideas. So this is just a way to uh, be a little uh, creative. Yeah. Okay. For this uh, first media criticism episode, um, we watched Fight Club, um, which was released in uh, 1999, directed by uh, David Fincher. Um, if you haven't seen it, I'd recommend, uh, watching it before listening to this. Um, we just got done watching it together. Um, but, uh, if you do watch it and you find it's not your thing, then, you know, just come back to the podcast. You might still get something out of it. So I think I want to start off kind of, uh, general-like, um, then go more in-depth with the DS aspects, um. And I guess I should say, too, off the top, that maybe this was kind of a poor choice for a first one, because I think most of the stuff that we'll, ha we'll have to say is uh, related to dominance. Um, mm -hmm. There's certainly maybe maybe bits about submission, but I think this is movie, looking at it in a DS lens, mostly talking about dominance. Mm -hmm. um, so this was your first time seeing this movie, right? Um, I thought it was, but I've definitely, like, been in the room while it's on, like, in the background or something mm, like that, because okay. there's definitely bits, in, or maybe I've just seen, like, clips somehow. Like, there were definitely parts I'm like, oh, I kind of remember this, but I definitely hadn't, like, sat and actually paid attention. And, uh, just to warn you, this will be spoiler-heavy. I mean, <laughs> came out with 1999, <laughs> but still. Um, so, um... Did you know about the uh, twist at the end that uh, the two main characters are the same person? No, I didn't. Oh. Um, so what did you think in general of the movie? Um, so I guess I just want to say, like, all that I, like, knew going into this was that we were watching it for the podcast. And obviously that means we were going to talk about it in some kind of a DS lens. And all that I really knew about it going in was that there was some kind of, like, a hidden group where guys punch each other mm -hmm. for the sake of punching each other. That's what I knew of the movie. I don't... What did you ask me again? I'm sorry. What did you think about the movie in general? Like, did um, you like it? Not like it? I didn't really care for it. <laughs> um, I don't ever care for, like, action movies. Um, I Like, I probably am less into movies than, like, most people oh, in general. Yeah. But um, action movies never do anything for me. So, like... That would kind of answer my next question. If you were going to categorize this, what would it be? Action? Yeah. Because okay. uh, I like dramas. And mm. this didn't strike me as a drama. It didn't, like, capture my... I mean, there's definitely drama in it. But it wasn't, like, my kind of drama that would, like, mm. capture my head and heart, you know? So, um, what did you think 
the point of this movie was? Like, what was it trying to say? I don't know. Like, I kind of debated that, like, um, I guess up until the end, I kind of thought the point was kind of um, anti-consumerism, uh, embrace who you really are, stop uh, being a sheep <laughs> mm-hmm. kind of a message. Uh, and then the ending kind of didn't really go that way. Like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, and I should say I've seen this movie um, quite a few times, and I've read the book, too. You read uh, the book? Yeah. Not, I think, like, last year. Really? Um, and that was kind of interesting, because it was, like, it wasn't painful to read, but it was shocking, like, the adaption from the book to the movie is, like, almost one-to-one. Like, most books, you know, are, to really adapt them every scene, it'd be like a mini-series. Mm-hmm. But the book is so short, it's like... Literally, the movie, except for the ending. Okay. The ending's different. Um, does it? Does the ending of the book go in the way I was anticipating? No. Okay. But I do think the ending of the book makes things a little bit more clear. The reason this movie occurred to me to do for this type of thing was, uh, I think um, the character Tyler Durden is uh, widely thought of as um, kind of a dominant archetype a dominant man um kind of a rejection of like uh how men appear or feel feminized nowadays Mm -hmm. him going a ways to try and like take control of his own destiny Mm -hmm. um and ignoring things that don't actually matter Mm -hmm. um like of course i knew that that was gonna come but like throughout the movie i kept the word that kept coming to my mind is macho, mm. um, which machismo, <laughs> um, which I think is a much better description mm-hmm. than, than dominance. But um, I, of course, it makes sense that people view the two as nearly one and the same in a lot of contexts. I think. Would you say that the character is dominant? That's like another thing. So, like, I, you know, I kind of saw this question coming too, and like, I'm not going to play with this binder clip and annoy everybody with that <laughs> clicking the whole podcast. I, you know, I kind of suspected that question was coming, and I was debating that, and then I got kind of into this like stupid, like, philosophical place in my head of like, can I even like define dominance outside of a DS relationship? Like, I think most people, when they think of dominance just as um, like a personality, as opposed to, like, a role within a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they kind of think, like, alpha alpha male mm-hmm. in the term, in the sense of, like, a, you know, star of the football team and, and that kind of thing. And that's not really my idea of dominance necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I just needed to get that out of the way. But, like, I know for the sake of this, I have to, like, set that aside <laughs> because... Um, no, you don't. Cert- really? Yeah. Um, certainly this isn't any kind of dominance I would ever be interested in. Like, Mm. there's zero direction to me here. Um, I think a lot of people do like the more, like, macho kind of, uh, guy, and they view that as dominance. Um, I guess my kind of dominance is just a lot different than that. Are you saying I'm not macho? (laughs) Yeah, not really. (laughs) (sighs) I think I'm a little macho. <laughs> not, macho sounds so much like nacho. <laughs> um, like I think 
like every once in a while I'll see like other bloggers get a nuns or something along the lines of like can you really be in a DS relationship and have the Dom love the sub? Like our dominance like capable of love. Oh. Um and I think that kind of question kinda of comes from this type of macho concept of dominance. Um, like this kind of a guy who like this Tyler who doesn't seem to really care about anyone or anything other than getting what he wants. Um, and no, like to me, that's not dominance. Like I would never be with you if that was you. Um, but what if the, what the macho person wanted was you, but would still be like reckless and careless with other people. I still couldn't like love a person that lacked empathy for other people. Mm. What did you think of, I mean, they're the same person, but, you know, the the narrator character of uh, the guy that's not... The skinny Tyler. Yeah. Yeah, the non-bread <laughs> Tyler. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, in what way? Anyway. Um, I guess the main thing that jumped out at me, like, he seems sad. Like, I don't... Um, because he genuinely seems unhappy and that's sad. But then it's also sad that, um, I guess I just don't like, like, he's depicted as sad because, like, he cares about his furniture and his home decor. Like, there's just not much, I don't know, there's not enough to him, I guess, like, enough backstory to him. Like, all that we really know is that he had a job and cared too much about his home decor. Like, we don't, you know what I mean? I don't. I get you, but I don't think that's true. I think, like, the source of his, like, sadness or, like, ennui is uh, lack of purpose, lack of direction, and uh, a big chunk of it is, like, uh, anger at his father, but okay. that anger displaced at women. Oh, I didn't catch that. Like, did you notice when they're talking uh, in the bathroom... And uh, one of them says, or yeah, the wimpy Tyler says, uh, <laughs> "Don't say." Who would you fight if you could fight anybody? And the Brad Pitt Tyler says, uh, "My dad." And then he says, um, "You know, we grew up without fathers, or we grew up raised by women, so maybe uh, another woman isn't something we need." So, like at first, he he recognizes that what he was missing was a dad. Mm -hmm. but then that anger is still displaced at, at women. women. Okay. It w I think it would be interesting to actually rewatch it, now, like, once you know the ending, that they're the same person, and mm -hmm. to, like, analyze those conversations more. Like, I can see how you picked up on that because yeah. you knew the... Yeah, my views on the movie have changed from repeated watchings, definitely. Like, do you think that's the thing that really happens to guys sometimes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's where hate of women comes from, largely. Is from hating your dad? Yeah, because it's like when it's like when you have like an abusive parent, the kid often hates the parent that isn't abusive because they didn't protect them from them. It's a way to people, kids especially, often displace blame from the exact cause because they know that exact cause is so unreachable that it could never be different. Is this me? Maybe. <laughs> 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 um, interesting. And I, I think, like, you know, it talks about in the movie about a generation of men raised by women, and I think that's largely true. And I think 
that is where a lot of hatred of women, you know, and the zeitgeist right now uh, is where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and another thing too is it's the men that hate women, and I think uh, I think maybe a lot of times you identify the pair of your same sex as you, and so maybe it's easier, it's harder to hate yourself. Then. Right. It's harder to hate your dad if you're a boy because you think of yourself as kind of being your dad. Yeah. So we start off the movie with uh, non-Brad Pitt Tyler. Um, I guess we can say Edward Norton Tyler. <laughs> um, Edward Norton Tyler, um, unable to sleep. Um, mm-hmm. he, he, uh, what's the term? Insomnia. Insomnia. And, uh, and he feels a little loopy and... Uh, from the tip of a doctor, he, he goes to, uh, well, from the flippant comment of a doctor, he goes to check out um, people who are dying support groups. And there he finds he's able to uh, cry, which once he does that, once he releases releases pent-up emotions, he's able to uh, sleep. Mm-hmm. And then one of the support groups... Um, they have the people there do a thought exercise, and uh, it's uh, go into your cave and meet your power animal. And his cave is an ice cave, and his power animal is a little penguin <laughs> with a child's voice mm-hmm. that's a slide, basically it says play, and then giggles. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's pretty clearly, um, he almost feels empowered by, like, being or interacting with his inner child oh yeah see you went so i'm sure it's because you've watched it and read the book multiple times yeah i didn't catch that but i can understand that now yes and it's like uh and then when um the woman character marla who's also like a faker and she's just coming there for like free stuff (laughs) when he's attracted to her and when he's in that same group He's not able to communicate with his inner child. Right. It's funny because I had put together that there was, I feel like there's a lot of sexism in this, obviously. Um, But I knew that there was some kind of a statement being made there about her being a woman and that interfering with his ability to uh, reach an emotional state to where he could like sleep and stuff. Because it stops happening when she's around. And I think the first time it happens, it's at a testicular cancer support group. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it just kind of, like, beats you over yeah, the head yeah. with it. Um, and, like, at the testicular um, group thing, there's, like, a guy who they, like, make a big deal about his, like, cancer treatment and hormone treatment affecting his breasts. Or Well, yeah, and he's, like, the major, like, he's the singular metaphor for, like, modern masculinity he was literally a body lifter and then because yeah. of modern things like steroids they ended up literally removing his balls and he grew tits right um and um like i think like with that guy like throughout the movie like multiple times to say we're still men and so that's just kind of again just kind of that general theme of um we still want to call ourselves men even though we've been totally emasculated type of well and it it's so interesting that like he's not able to talk or interact with his inner child when he's around a woman mm-hmm. which kind of reads to me like because there's a woman around because of like masculinity 
he's feels he shouldn't do that. He should guard himself. Oh, yeah. I can see that. One of the reasons I asked you what did you categorize this movie as um, is because the director categorizes it as a satire. Okay, that's funny. The tone of the movie drives that, that like Tyler Durden is like this big cool guy that you want to be at, but it it's supposed to be undercutting that. Mm-hmm. And it's like the whole uh, the whole Project Mayhem thing is kind of like feeding into their masculinity, mm-hmm. but it drops hints all the time that maybe the root cause is their masculinity and they're displacing that blame on other things. Mm-hmm. Do you think most people recognize it? As- no, that's a big thing. Uh, it's, a, I think, a completely misunderstood movie. But I don't think that's people's fault. I think it's kind of a poorly made movie for the message it's supposed to have. Mm-hmm. So his apartment is mysteriously blown up, and he uh, goes and stays with this guy he met on an airplane, airplane the uh, Brad Pitt, Tyler Durden. And uh, back on that same thing we were talking about, um, when he hears again from Marla, um, Brad Pitt, Tyler Durden, is in the background playing with nunchucks, like a little ninja. Oh. Tyler Durden is his inner child. Yeah. So I don't know if I already said it, but uh, when he's able to cry at the support groups, he's able to sleep again. Mm-hmm. And when the woman is introduced to the support groups, <clears throat> he's not able to sleep anymore. And uh, when the woman is introduced, his uh, his power animal, you know, his uh, he's not able to feel powerful. What he thinks is because of modern society. So uh, what makes him feel good, what makes him able to feel release is kind of reverting back to a child. And when a woman is introduced to the equation, he... Uh, transforms what makes him feel good from uh, communicating with and interacting with his inner child and being a child to uh, being what his child thinks is a dominant masculine man mm-hmm. because he thinks that's what he has to be. And mm-hmm. uh, a big theme that uh, Brad Pitt, Tyler Durden hits on a lot is uh, you can only gain anything once you're willing to lose everything. Yeah. And it's kind of like a masculine ideal. Um, you can find meaning and uh, being able to dissipate that ennui through sacrifice. Um, and I think one of the major points of the story is that instinct goes awry when sacrifice is tarred, tied to narcissism. Um, what he's willing to sacrifice for is destroying the society that made him feel this way. It's not for something positive. It's for something negative. It's from taking something down. Right. And um, at certain times, they, they just outright talk about de- like self-destruction. Yeah. Um, well, and it's very explicitly tied to self-loathing. Mm-hmm. And um, I think like the basic concept of like doing something really hard can be worth it is something like obviously everybody can mm-hmm. uh, relate to. But... Um, a lot of the examples in the movie are just really stupid. Like, um, let's almost die in a car accident so that we can appreciate the next day. Like, well, um, and, and that's the thing too. Like, he's able to sleep again once they start the fight clubs. Mm-hmm. And 
Well, and even that is a good example of like, you're not really sacrificing anything meaningful. You're exactly. just sacrificing your body. Exactly. It's kind of a, a, a nice, this is kind of a buzzword, but I think this is where the story is trying to head. It's the toxic masculine idea of sacrifice. Right. It's, it's tied to you're sacrificing to hurt what hurt you, not to build something. Right. And I remember the first couple of viewings, I was always weirded out by fast forwarding towards the end. He kills Brad Pitt, Tyler Durden, by attempting to kill himself, failing, and shooting a bullet out of his cheek. And I always thought, how how did that kill the Brad Pitt, Tyler Durden? Mm -hmm. And I think the point is, at that point, he was willing to sacrifice himself for other people. Oh, okay. Yeah, that didn't make any sense to me, but that's a good guess, I think. The sacrifice isn't about narcissism. It's about um, sacrificing for things outside of yourself, not mm-hmm. just for things that hurt you. And I think that's kind of an explicit metaphor. When he does that, he kills his morphed inner child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's able to kind of actually be with the woman. Right. Um, so it's kind of like, I think it is a story about dominance, but it's kind of in a satirical way. It's ironic. It's He becomes dominant when he's able to kill his like childish idea of what a dominant man is. Right. The macho concept. Yeah. yeah. When it's, yeah. When he's willing to sacrifice for other people. Mm-hmm. And not even just sacrifice, but when caring about other people is a focus. Right. Like a, a big part of it starts to transition when he like gets upset about that. His friend uh, being hurt, I think, mm-hmm. is kind of the beginning of that transition. It's like, this is a, a real person. And he died he for nothing. for nothing. Right. So related to all this... What does dominance in terms of 24-7 DS mean to you? To me, like, my, the type of dominance that I'm interested in is, um, like, confident leadership that um, involves, like, calculated decision-making, making good, moral, smart uh decisions that will you know pay off in the long run things that to me are counterproductive to that type of dominance are like rash decision making or um like making uh like knee-jerk reaction type emotional thoughtless decisions um careless decisions selfish decisions Um, and so for me, aggression in almost all cases is pretty counterproductive to dominance because, um, you know, when you're hot-headed, you're not going to make good decisions. And if you don't make good decisions, like, why would anybody want you to lead? Like, I don't, in a DS context, I mean, Mm -hmm. um, like in a nutshell, I don't see much dominance of the type that I'm interested in in this movie. Um, Like, these are angry guys just saying fuck everything else and just being selfish. And that, to me, that doesn't, you know, 
I don't. There's nothing attractive to me about that. Why do you feel that that kind of dominance is something you need? Uh, the like thoughtful kind. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, I don't want to like hand over decisions to somebody who. I don't mean compared to that one. I mean just in general. Why do you need oh. dominance? I don't need dominance. I could be. <laughs> <laughs> I could dominate myself. Um, I I crave dominance um, because there's security in it when um, some when I can let go of making the decisions because I don't want to make the decisions, but I want the decisions that are made to be good ones, to be safe ones, to be productive ones, um, and so it's important that they're like well thought out and calculated and that they're based on like a I don't know like morality that I believe in and all that I guess what I'm hitting at is like why why aren't you vanilla like what is it about dominance why do you need Uh, that um why am I not vanilla let me just say what I'm thinking and I think ties to this movie um I think I think it's kind of Freudian in people. I think misread Freudian that like Freudian means you want to fuck your parents. <laughs> <laughs> and I think all it means is like uh, obviously the people that raise you kind of inform your examples of like who you're going to be and who you want to be with. Um, mm, who you want to be with? Yeah. Not if you hate your parents. That's still informing. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, okay. Um, and I think this movie kind of digs at that when it talks about uh, a generation of men raised by women, which is another way of saying a generation of men raised without fathers. Mm-hmm. And it isn't just men, it's a generation of women, too. Oh, yeah. Um, and I wonder if... That informs a lot of people's um, desire to be dominant and desire to be with a dominant. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, like, obviously this whole thing is just us, like, BSing and this is just more of us spitballing or whatever. But, um, yeah, like, I I see what you're poking at. Like, yeah, I absolutely, like, very early in childhood, I was aware of wishing that there were boundaries and that... Uh, somebody was like paying attention and I didn't have to feel like I was fending for myself and protecting myself like that I fucking felt safe and um, so like I think we've talked before like not on the podcast but just you know personally um, as a child being aware that my parents were not um, as aware of me on an emotional level as I you know, had wished that they were, um, I found myself wishing for that in, um, other people, like essentially wishing for like some other kind of caregiver to come along who was more, uh, who saw me emotionally better than my parents did. Um, and I think, um, kind of a little bit ironically, like you similarly felt like you were raising yourself but you had a different emotional reaction to the situation than mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. Like, there's a line in the movie, um, if our fathers are our model for God, what does that say about God? Maybe 
God hates us. Maybe God doesn't want anything to do with us. Um, and I think that's a largely true statement, metaphorically. Um, and I think that's kind of where people divert um, with uh, lack of positive father figures. Where is it kind of internalized as a self-loathing? Or is it internalized as something like something is missing so we need to build what's missing mm -hmm. um like i think there's kind of this prejudice that exists that says that particularly for submissive women this you know concept of like well you're like damaged because you have daddy issues and so then you're kind of going out looking for a big mean man to dominate you and I feel like I fall in like a weird area on that because I'm not gonna like claim to not have daddy issues but quite frankly I have parental <laughs> issues more so <laughs> than daddy issues I think um but um I don't think I've ever been drawn to dominance out of a like looking for somebody to be mean to me kind of a thing like that's never been uh my the type of dominance that I've sought after. Like, I've never wanted to be um, fearful of you, for example. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, I guess it's hard to explain because there are certain things that we're into, like, um, we're into, like, some objectification, mm -hmm. for example. And so a lot of people would view that as, like, kind of outsourcing mistreatment or something like that. But um, nothing that we do makes me feel bad mm -hmm. um and so it's like even when we're like doing like objectification things it's like I, I take it as a compliment to uh like be your toy for example mm -hmm. right and so um i guess what i'm poking at is um obviously i can't speak for everyone but i certainly just don't think it's true that like submissives as a whole are looking to be uh, fearful and to feel like um, mistreated or like used in a negative context by the person that loves them. Like I don't feel like that's our relationship at all. No, definitely. But I, and I think this is kind of this is definitely related to what we just talked about a second ago. I think there's you know a divergence in how people can react to their upbringing. I think there are some submissives that. Maybe they won't admit it that to themselves, but that is what they're after. Mm -hmm. And everybody kind of people talk about that with like uh, women who are serially with like abusers. Mm, yeah. But people, for some reason, don't ever talk about it on the male end. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I think the men that abuse the women, they're probably the mirror image of that. Oh, that's funny. Especially thinking about like the individual people in our lives. And, like, so I think there are submissives that are after to be used in a negative way because of their upbringing. But they actually feel bad in the moment. Right. What's definitely true, I think even more true than that, is that there are doms out to just use submissives. Mm -hmm. And that they're emulating their father figures 
they're not trying to be what they wish they are. They're just plainly emulating them. Mm -hmm. They're emulating. They are not seeing the examples they had and trying to change them. They're just trying to directly emulate them. And I think that's on both sides. Yeah. I almost want to say it's more on the man's side, actually. Because I don't know. I think the the submissives that are out to feel um, like genuinely hurt are probably a lot rarer than the doms that just want to use submissives and don't care. Like, obviously, this is like super subjective just from what we've seen. But mm-hmm. like, it's like easily one of the hardest things about being on Tumblr for me is like messages from submissives who get really, really fucking hurt, like torn apart by guys who they, and I say guys because almost everyone who reaches out to me is a submissive female, but a straight submissive female, I should say. But, um, I don't get the sense at all that they were, like, seeking that out. Yeah, yeah. I get That's the sense that say, they yeah. um, were very trusting and they, you know, maybe got excited by a little bit of, like, a thrill and then it just got in too deep, too fast, and before they could see the person's true colors. And then it was it was a really hurtful place before they were able to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think it's just, it's more uh, common for, like, female submissives to seek out a better masculine figure, and it's more common for um, men to imitate their bad masculine figure. Well, and I think um, part of it, too, is um, a lot of people get into DS without really knowing um what it can be like they they hear stereotypes and they feel drawn to certain things or maybe even just from porn or erotica and they don't um have friends who are in like you know healthy loving ds relationships to where they can kind of reference what could be um and so like that like questions like that like is it realistic to like hope to be in a DS relationship and be loved by my dom? Like questions like that I think just genuinely come from people who have bought into the the stigmas and the stereotypes but they know some part of them craves being submissive and so they're trying to reconcile can I have my cake and eat it too, you know, um cuz they just don't know that yeah. there's so much variation and variety and there you know of course you can if you know you might have to fight really really hard to find the right person but um yeah i think like people go into ds with like certain stereotypes about what um a submissive role should look like and so um like i've gotten questions from submissives on occasion of like when is it okay to speak up about my needs and when should i like swallow my needs um and so things like that where they really don't know what is acceptable to speak up on and so then if they get partnered with somebody who um has this like i guess more like macho concept of dominance to where they aren't interested in hearing from you and so they like actively try to silence you when you do speak up Mm -hmm. um that can just lead to a really ugly place really quickly Mm -hmm. um and I think um, it's easy for me to understand why, like, on the submissive side, when we're, like, eager to please and, I don't know, submit, why if you 
have caught feelings for somebody and he, you know, accuses you of tapping when you're expressing your needs, mm -hmm. um, how it's really easy to lose your voice really quickly. I'm, I feel so lucky that I mm -hmm. like got with somebody who wasn't that, who just had no interest in doing that. Cause it happens like to almost every submissive. It seems like they mm. get with one bad egg before they find the real thing. Like it's insane to me how common it is. It breaks my heart. Yeah. And I, I think the term dominant is kind of a really flawed term because I mean, it literally is, you know, someone who dominates and usually when someone dominates, it's, it's in a negative way. I would say those women are being dominated. <laughs> um, but we mean dot. And I think that plays back into the movie dominated, not for the dominance ego, but dominated for a greater good mm -hmm. to build something together, to build a good relationship. Right. And I think that's why, um, you know, like we've talked about like the hierarchy of needs and wants like so many times, like I think it's really hard for me to envision DS without that because, mm -hmm. um, and I think like a lot of the times when it is that more like it's all about him and uh, or all about the dominant and the, the submissive doesn't have enough of a voice. Um, it's typically because her needs aren't going first. Um, and like a lot of times, like <laughs> when it's like really yucky, it's like his needs and wants are above her <laughs> needs and her wants. And so, um, like, of course, you're just going to lose yourself if mm -hmm. um, one person is just, it's all about that one person. Like, um, it's supposed to be a, an exchange that kind of balances itself mm -hmm. back out, you know, and it's not going to balance itself out if it's, if you're shoving it all in one direction. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of something that I had, like, jumped on and asked a while back about um, how much... Um, like traditional love, like um, watching movies together or going on dates or like buying flowers can exist within DS while still making it feel like DS. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting because I think sometimes people uh, have a concept that um, DS is like harshness and, and strictness and that uh, vanilla is like soft, warm, loving. And uh, I don't, think that the, you can categorize things that way. Mm. Um, and I think um, part of why, like, in terms of, like, objectification and, like, we get a little bit into, like, humiliation and stuff. Um, so I sometimes would, I sometimes would uh, say, like, in terms of our uh, sex lives, like, that you use me, for example. Like, that's something that it doesn't bother us to say that mm -hmm. um but um i think and i think like it's kind of like a negative view of it but um serving somebody or submitting to somebody i'm kind of um being a support figure so i'm kind of being used to help your cause in certain ways right um but i i think it uh the reason it doesn't feel like being used is because I am supporting you and then you are using that to support us mm -hmm. and um, me first when our needs 
contradict each other. Well, and even if it's like not that like sequential, it's that you knowing that I support us, um, you get a pleasure out of um, just providing pleasure for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like, yes, I am um, supporting you, but you support us. And so it's it's not one-sided in the sense that like it comes it rains back down on me too um and so like uh i don't know maybe this is like a stupid side tangent but i was like talking to one of my friends recently who's a stay-at-home mom and her husband works and uh provides everything financially and um she had gotten a comment from somebody in her family that said, wouldn't you feel better if you were supporting your family? <laughs> and it, it really set her off because um, she does support her family. She doesn't contribute financially, but she feels that being a stay-at-home mom and, you know, therefore doing more than 50% of the parenting is supporting her family and it's mm-hmm. supporting her husband. And um, and so, um, and, and so I guess within that context... Um, some people could perceive that as she's using her husband in the sense that um, she's completely dependent on him financially. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he wants her to be a stay-at-home mom and values the contribution that she's making to spending a bunch of time with their kids and mm-hmm. um, whatever. And so, you know, I presume he doesn't feel used financially because there's a give and a take that they're both comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I don't know, like, I guess that just kind of exists in relationships in all types of different ways. Or like, um, it even occurred to me, like, as a, as a employee, if you feel like your boss doesn't give a damn about you and just wants you to like work yourself into the ground and you don't ever get any, um, benefits from working harder for them, you're going to feel used. Whereas, um, if you see that your higher production comes back on you through, raises or through um even just your boss genuinely appreciating you and feeling like treating you like a human you're just going to be a happier employee because it feels like an exchange it feels like Mm -hmm. um just feels like you're not being used (laughs) and so um i think i i agree with you like in like the true sense the word like dominance is just dominating somebody and you can do that in a um in a way that feels used, but um, it doesn't have to be. You don't have to feel used at all. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that's something like a lot of submissives worry about if they know that they, like kink-wise in particular, are drawn to feeling used or to feeling objectified. They think, um, how can this be like a loving and, Mm. um, you know, how can this feel like a good, warm Mm -hmm. relationship outside of the bedroom or, or things like that? And I think like, it's just a matter of finding a balance that makes you feel like it's giving back to you in a very meaningful way for you. Gives you back as much as you're giving, just in a different way. Yeah. So I think like that's a pretty clear definition of at least what we mean by dominance in a 24-7 DS context. Is it's quote-unquote using someone that wants to be used by you because of your actions. Right, because like I right, I think you could perceive either of us as using the other, depending on the perspective. 
Well, does that go against what I just said, though? I don't think so, because like I think we both, you know, from different perspectives, we could both be seen as using each other, but, but um, then we also would... both give back to each other just in different ways. But then how would that differenti- differentiate dominance from submission? Uh, I guess in... In my perspective, it doesn't. I think it's an exchange. Well, I think... It's ma- just different ma- types yeah, of Yeah, maybe that's the difference, is they are the same, but it's tilted. And you can see the tilt in the hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. My wants and desires to, like, quote-unquote, use you... I guess you could say I use you for what I desire, and you use me for what you need... But your needs come before your desires. So I also try to help meet your needs. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I guess it does. It's because um, it's like you can kind of break it down into like it feels like the first half of the hierarchy and the second half. And the second half is where you take from me more because you're on top of Mm. me. And then, yeah, so I see what you're saying. It it feels and looks tilted to the dominance end because you interact more with wants and desires than you do with needs. Yeah. And that's that's why it's an exchange because while your needs come first, they're not the things we regularly interact with. But they are they do they may sometimes require more. But right. that's exchanged with I think they almost always require more. I mean, you're like the things I, you know, prioritize over my own is like cooking you want what you want to eat and mm-hmm. um, uh, doing things when you want to do them and letting you make, you know, a lot of small decisions that are nothing compared to like sacrificing needs, even though it's much more rare. It's almost always much heavier when that does happen, but it is rare, whereas the the, the desires are pretty much a daily mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. I mean, not pretty much. They're a daily yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, to talk more about Fight Club. Um, in the story, at the end, they're not going to blow up, like, the credit history companies. Um, I think it's just some, like, business tower and uh, some modern art. And uh, the uh, bomb ends up failing just from incompetence. And uh, he still tries to kill himself. And uh, it ends with him um, being in a, what's the term, like a psych ward. And uh, thinking that like he's finally escaped like this kind of like trap and hell he's made for himself. Mm-hmm. And one of the uh, orderlies is like one of his space monkey guys and... Says everything is going according to plan, and like he, even though he's kind of learned, he can't like escape from this kind of uh, toxic masculine trap he's made for himself. So it's it kind of it hits on the Tyler Durden being bad thing, you know, a lot harder. The movie kind of fails. I think it kind of leans harder in on kind of like the criticisms of capitalism. Yeah. I think the book was more based on still not, you know, perfectly to get the point across. What the book was talking about, what made these men feel bad, 
like this ennui they had was like this toxic masculinity reaction to the world changing a little bit with like feminism and stuff. Whereas the movie kind of conflates that with like how capitalism can often make people feel bad. Um, I think that's where it's very easy to like miss the point of the movie because I think it makes like a lot of good points. Like for what the movie is hitting at, like there's like a term for that, like a Marxist term, like the, like you feel alienated from your labor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because you are, cause you're, you're being like you had talked about earlier, like you're being used yourself in like a like a toxic sense. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like I, I I don't think that I'm that type of uh, machismo like uh, faux dominant that's like kind of represented by Tyler Durden. But if I was in a situation where bombs were going to go off, destroy the credit reporting agencies, and no one was going to be dying, I wouldn't try to stop that. <laughs> I'd be cheering that the fuck on. Right. In a like in an anti-capitalist way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I thought, is there, like, a connection in the movie that I lost? Like, how do they go from... Because, like, the the early, like, seeds that they planted of anti-capitalism was um, basically, like, his apartment uh, decor. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of see it represented again once they move in together and it's this terrible Mm -hmm. um, house. But then how does the the credit card companies even come into play. It's just kind of pulled out of thin air. Well, that's it? like, I, it's the movie is pretty incoherent because the way he uh, explains it when he goes to the cops is just that it creates chaos. Like it kind of, the movie hints that like maybe one of the issues of their ennui is capitalism, but his like stated goal of doing that is just to create chaos. I don't know. Yeah. So I think what the movie was about was that the world was not really destroyed, but it's still left reeling by like a failed generation of men. So there weren't masculine, healthy, masculine dominant figures to uh, emulate. And the movie's kind of commenting on how, uh, that blame is, you know, displaced on women a lot of times. But I think what it hints at, and I think this is deep in the subtext, is maybe even the blame on the men might be a little bit displacement. It seems to have a lot to say about capitalism with, like, the end goal, destroying the credit reporting agencies, and how originally... He uh, felt ennui because corporations were um, exploiting his needs by uh, getting him to uh, buy things to feel like he's nesting. Like, maybe that failed generation of men didn't just magically happen. Maybe that came about by displacement from exploitive economic systems. So, like, maybe part of why marriages started failing more and why uh like father stop being around as much goes back to a failure of capitalism yeah and i guess you could even say a failure 
in the leaders of our society, in the father figures or, you know, dominant figures of our society. There was a failure in masculine leadership that cascaded down. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, we've talked about, uh, you know, maybe seeking out dominance and submission um, is related to, uh, you know, lack of... uh, lack of or bad examples in uh growing up but uh of course don't mean to imply that's the only way or reason people seek that out mm-hmm. um just happened to have been the case maybe in our experience and you know it's not the totality of it and uh like i've said things like masculine and feminine and um kind of cast uh dominant roles as men and submissive roles as female um but uh that's largely like the context of this movie is about masculinity yeah being related to you know traits that mm-hmm. are viewed as dominant and while i have meant that generally I, I don't mean that exclusively like even like that example of people that may find dominance or submission from uh you know from bad examples or lack of examples like there are some men who respond to that type of situation by, uh, you know, uh, becoming submissive, and women that respond to that by becoming dominant, and like, that's I, I of course that's... valid. Okay, that's the end of this episode. Um, if you uh, hated it again, you know, try and let us know politely. Um, <laughs> and uh, next time, we'll be back to uh, like our normal programming. Yeah, um, but also, if you, like, particularly liked it, let us know that, too, because, like, if we only have people giving negative feedback, we won't know how, like, what the ratio is, I guess. Sure. All right. uh, Bye-bye. Bye.